0: I don't know who's calling. I don't have the name on the caller ID. You like, stop. Like, I can't take your I'm on the phone with Zach. Stop calling. I don't I I will take your call after this interview. Sorry if I'm sounding frustrated. No, I'm not. okay. okay.
1: this is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills.
0: Fun fact to start the show. This is not related to sports at all, but very related to Wisconsin. I don't know if you saw the announcement from Miller Coors today. Um, or not Miller Coors, but Molson Coors. Uh, we're losing the following beer brands. And I thought we should pay our respects to start the start the show. Milwaukee's Best Premium. Mickey's Fine Malt Liquor. Henry Henry Weinhardt's Private Reserve. Keystone Ice. Ham Special Light. Oh. Key Lightful. Ice House Edge, Magnum, Miller High Life, Light, Steel Reserve, all gone. Uh, Brutal. I'm going to miss. I I feel like a dollar can of hams is going to be my generation's thing. Like, if you talk to someone who's 50, 60, 70, you know, you'll hear like, oh, back in my day, get a pack of gum for a penny. Gas was a nickel. I feel like in 15 or 20 years, I'm going to lecture the youngins be like, back in my day, you could go to the bar and get a dollar can of ice cold hams. And if it wasn't cold, it was still good because hams was awesome. And it was a dollar. So I thought we'd start on a lighthearted note today. RIP to Ham special light. I don't know what that means for hams heavy. I need to do some more research. Sorry, I was too busy researching sports or trying to today. <laughs> this is the Wisco Sports Show. My name, Grant Bills. I hope you had a wonderful day wonderful weekend. I had the best weekend possible. I didn't do a dang thing. I didn't leave my house for the first time on Saturday until like 3, and I didn't leave my house yesterday for the first time until like 5.30, and it was to buy ice cream so I'd have something to eat while watching Sunday night baseball. So by that metric, I think I had a pretty good weekend because I had nothing to do. Whatever you did the last couple of days, I hope you enjoyed it. We're ready to go. Uh, This week will be a lot of Brewers, a lot of Packers training camp, obviously, but a heads up, just so I don't get yelled at. I'm going to get yelled at by our, especially our friends in Madison, which is why I had Zach on last week. I wanted to avoid this with him. Uh, I'm going to be on vacation next week, all five days. I'm out of here. I'm going out West. So just a heads up, because I know Ebo will yell at me, and others will yell at me. I will be gone next week. So we need to make this week count. We need to pack everything in to this week. A lot to do with the Brewers, especially following the trade deadline, and Packers training camp is only going to continue to ramp up, 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 and up, and, and up. Oh, yeah, an NBA free agency starts tonight, unless you're Pat Riley. Then it starts a couple of hours early, but we can talk about that later. A lot to get to tonight. You're welcome to be a part of it. 608-796-2558. You can tweet at me, at Wisco Grant. Schmidt on the north side, right from the jump. I think he was ready to talk about this. He said, didn't know John Axford was still alive. Hasn't pitched in the majors since 2018. Yeah, John Axford's back with the Brewers. As if this week couldn't get off to a weirder start, I guess John Axford is still alive, and he can still throw baseball. So the Brewers brought him back, and then later today, it was announced that Josh Hader lands on the COVID list, so maybe, probably, almost certainly, those things are connected. I want to talk more about John Axford. I, I don't have much to say about him. I find, I don't know, I find this difficult to talk about. I don't, I don't know. I haven't thought about John Axford in years. But he's back with the Brewers. I want to talk about that at 4.30. We're going to talk a little basketball before the end of the show and a little bit about the Vikings as well because they're a very interesting story right now. I was very fascinated by Mike Zimmer this weekend, so I do want to get to that. That'll be right before 6 o'clock. I want to start with the Brewers. This weekend, sports outstanding. Brewers were in Atlanta. And especially, these games were great because they were the games immediately following the trade deadline. right? So we get to see all these players on their new teams. Right? I said there was Vikings drama, the NBA draft was last week, and now free agency starts tonight. So this great medley, this great mix of things to follow, and I had nothing going on this weekend, so I could just sit there and take it all in. I was so bored on Saturday, I was sitting by my computer waiting for Blue Jays Royals to start. This is the first game that started on Saturday. We need an 11 a.m. game on Saturday. We need Saturday morning baseball. I don't know who's in charge of such things, but they need to get on that, because I had to wait until 3 o'clock to start Blue Jays Royals. It wasn't a fan. There was a ton going on, a lot of different things going on. Of course, our big story is the Brewers, and that's where I want to start. Keeping in mind that it's August 2nd, that date kind of changes how we watch the Brewers. You know what I mean? We have to realize, okay, it's August 2nd. That changes how we perceive and and how we criticize or how we lift up this Brewers team. It's important to remember, given that it actually feels like just yesterday that they were getting swept in Kansas City. Remember that two-game set in the middle of the week? I looked it up today. It was May 18th and May 19th. It feels like it was ten days ago. I remember listening to that game, driving to the north side of Lacrosse. It was raining. It was cool. It was dark out. I remember listening at a gas pump at Quick Trip as Avi Garcia got thrown out in the ninth inning. That was that was cool. That was cool. And then remember Vogelback came in, took over, and struck out on the next pitch. And Craig Council got. I don't remember if he got ejected. I think he, he should have, and I think he did. That feels like it was last week. So it's really easy. One watching the Brewers right now to get caught in this mindset of, oh, it's a long season, you know. We have 100 games left, 150 games left, 100 no, 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 no. We're getting down to it. Or at least we're starting to get down to it. It's time to start viewing this team through the lens of a playoff team. It's not May anymore, even though, at least to me, it certainly feels like it. This weekend series is a great start. Three very different games. And all three of these games show us how the Brewers fare in each of these different games, right? High scoring, low scoring, great starting pitching, ho-hum, starting pitching, just so-so, starting pitching, good opposing offense. The Braves have a lot of good bats, even though they're without some due to injuries, right? This weekend series is a great lesson for us. Each one of these games teaches us something between Friday, where they won, Saturday they lost, and then yesterday they won. Each one of those games teaches teaches us something and hopefully the brewers learn along the way too right that's what i talk about sometimes with craig Counsel and why i think he's a great manager among other reasons is that when his team loses or fails right it's a lesson we tweak we adjust we get better moving forward good managers as they get more data and they play more games and they get to use more relievers more players they're learning the whole time and they're tweaking the formula and the equation to win So I think this weekend teaches us some things about this Brewers team. Hopefully, the Brewers learn a thing or two as well. Let's start on Friday. Brewers won on Friday. It's probably my favorite game of the series. They won 9-5, but they fall behind 4-0 in the first inning. Corbin Burns didn't have his best. He's getting a lot of the plate, which he talked about after the game. He can't leave the ball right down the middle every time, right? And For a team that's built on starting pitching and hopes to win through their starting pitching come September— I'm not saying this is a worst case scenario, but it's it's pretty bad. Right? If you're a team that's predicated on starting pitching, you win through your starting pitching and one of your best starters goes out there gives up 4 in the first inning and you're down 4 runs right away, that's not good. That's bad. It would be like it'd be like making eggplant parmesan and then you forget the eggplant. Like I guess you could still try to do it, but it's hardly ideal and it's probably not going to be as good, right? If the Brewers are winning through starting pitching and their starting pitching goes in the tank, not a good sign. But Friday's game showed that the Brewers have the firepower to win with offense if the pitching doesn't show up, right? And I think Friday also showed us what this offense looks like when the big bats are cooking. Colton Wong had three hits. Adamas had two hits. Avi Garcia had three hits, including a big three-run home run. Right. So Friday is a lesson. If the starting pitching doesn't show up, the Brewers have the firepower to make a comeback and to get it done. And this offense can be really good if some of their big sticks all come together on one night and have a great game. Adamas, Wong, Avi Garcia, Narvaez would probably be in that group too. He had a hit on Friday night in an RBI, right? At some point, God willing, Yelich maybe joins that group as well. So we learned a thing or two on Friday. Even if the starting pitching doesn't show up, well, the offense can be good enough to come from behind and to help this team win. Saturday, the starting pitching didn't show again. And we're talking about relative starting pitching. It's not like the Pittsburgh Pirates ran some no-name out there, and he went an inning in a third and gave up seven runs, right? Brandon Woodruff wasn't his best on Saturday. He wasn't a nightmare, and he certainly didn't get help from the officiating, the umpiring. But he wasn't his best, relative to his best, which is very good, better than most, right? To be fair, there's very little offense, too. Like, Kane had three hits, and Wong and Avi Garcia both had two hits, but there wasn't that big hit. On Saturday, it felt like Manny Pena was up a couple of times with a chance to really, really do some damage to drive in a bunch of runs. With a couple of runners on base, they left 11 on base on Saturday, and they just never got that big hit. And I didn't watch the postgame presser on Saturday because I just went about my night. I'm like, nah, it's Saturday. I'm not going to spend 20 minutes watching this press conference. I'll get to it Monday. So I didn't see it, but I would imagine, I would guess, the Craig council probably said, hey, eh, you know, we got hits, we got guys on base. We just couldn't get the big hit. That was kind of the story on Saturday. Saturday is an example of how a playoff series, I think, could go south fast for the Brewers. If the starting pitching is an average version of itself, and once again, a bad Woodruff or a bad Burns or a bad Peralta is still halfway decent, and it's probably better than some of the lower-tier starters in baseball. But the Brewers predicate themselves on winning through starting pitching. That's their game plan. So if their starting pitching doesn't show up, as it didn't on Saturday, at least not at its peak elite level, and the offense is a no-show and they can't get those big hits, I mean, they could they could lose quickly. They could be out of the playoffs in three or four games and we look back and we think, oh, what happened? Well, the pitching wasn't amazing and the offense didn't pick up the slack. Simple, easy. Every team in baseball has lose potential, right? has catastrophe potential. There's a recipe for every team in baseball... To lose games. No team is flawless. It's up to the manager and the general manager to minimize that potential as much as possible, right? We want to add this extra bat just to make sure our offense doesn't go silent. We want to add this arm to our rotation to make sure our starting pitching doesn't go in the tank. And we minimize that losing potential to the biggest degree possible. It'll still always be there. You can add every good player in the league. You can add every good pitcher in the league. If there's injuries, you could lose. If you have some bad luck, you could still lose. You could you could always lose. But the best teams, the most competitive teams, the playoff teams, as Council and Stearns talked about last week, they add players and they add arms and bats to minimize that losing potential as much as possible. I thought of a scene from one of my favorite shows, Succession. It's on HBO Max. And actually, my mom texted me today. She's like, I just finished Succession. So the timing is kind of funny. I was thinking about it today already, and then my mom texted me. There's the scene in Succession, and if you haven't seen it, this isn't the this is hardly a spoiler i guess you could turn your radio down for 25 seconds it's a rather innocuous scene but what happens is right logan roy the dad who owns this huge company has some health issues so the son has to step in right and the stock price is it's tanking it's 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 bad it's really really bad so it's up to the son he's got to step in exude some confidence exude some swagger and get the shareholders back into it let's get that stock price going back up okay So he goes into the meeting with the shareholders and the board and and everybody who's involved to give his big speech. And what does he start talking about? He says, hey, bring me lifeboats. I pulled up the quote from the show. I couldn't find the scene, and I'm not trying to get sued by HBO, although I don't think they really care about my show anyways. This is the line from Kendall Roy, who's the son. He says, hey, for the sake of clarity, this strategy, my strategy, is the strategy of a thousand lifeboats. He starts talking about all these little companies that they own. Valter is a lifeboat. ATN Citizens is a lifeboat. There are no bad lifeboats. VR could be a lifeboat, right? He's talking about all of these lifeboats. Bring them to me. We, we need options. We need as many safety nets as possible, right? And this speech was very poorly received and the stock price tanked anyways because when you start talking about lifeboats, it starts talking like the ship is going to crash, but every ship could potentially crash. Every baseball team could go in the tubes, but the smart teams, the good teams, add as many bats, as many arms as possible. So you, you minimize that shipwreck potential down as, as small as possible, Right? to the point where it's almost impossible where a team can fail. Saturday for the Brewers, that's the worst-case scenario. Starting pitching doesn't show up, and the offense isn't any good. They got some hits, but they left a lot on base They couldn't get the big hit. That's the losing recipe for the Brewers, right? And that's why they brought in Escobar. That's why they added bullpen arms. Think of those those players as lifeboats, right? Pieces of the safety net. In case this pitcher doesn't show up, in case this bat doesn't work, well, now we have Escobar, we have these guys. Okay, they're, they're lifeboats. Yesterday's game is the one that really got me excited for this conversation because yesterday's game, way different than Friday, way different than Saturday. The Brewers offense hardly showed up. They only had three hits. And they started Brett Anderson, who by just about anyone's opinion is their worst starter in their rotation. And they won anyways, which is very, very impressive. Yesterday showed us a different way that the Brewers can win. Different from Friday or different from Saturday, although they lost on Saturday. Pitching And defense, run prevention, that's how this team was built. It's weird that the pitching at a high level came through Brett Anderson this weekend. A lot of ground balls, which allows Colton Wong, Willie Adamas, Luis Urias to do their thing, and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Lorenzo Cain to do theirs. And we finally saw the bullpen roadmap kind of fall into place. They went Curtis, Boxberger, Williams, Hayter. Williams and Hayter combined for five strikeouts. Come September, come October, that dog is going to have to hunt. Because the Brewers are going to find themselves in games where it's 3-2, to 2-1, two, two to one, one to nothing in the seventh inning. And you're turning it over from Peralta, Woodruff, or Burns to the bullpen. And Boxberger, and especially Williams and Hayter, they need to be givens. They need to show up. They can't be question marks. Yesterday, that was a good sign that that could be the case. Because Williams and strike are both strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. That dog's going to need to hunt if this team is going to win in the postseason. Friday showed us one type of game. Saturday showed us another, and yesterday showed us one yet again that was completely different. This weekend, the Brewers showed us two ways that they can win and one way that they can lose. Big picture, I like that ratio. I like seeing lots of games that the Brewers can win, and I want the minority of the games to be the games that the Brewers lose. That's how you win series, that's how you get a winning record, that's how you win a division, but it's also how you kind of forecast into the playoffs and think, okay, over seven games— If we see lots of different types of games, how prepared or unprepared are the Brewers? I think this weekend showed that they have some lifeboats, right? They have a safety net that if stuff goes south, they have options to win in different types of games if need be. Ultimately, they'd get an amazing start from their starting pitcher and their offense would score 10 runs every game. But that's not how it works. So you need the lifeboats. You need the safety nets. You need options, different ways to win. So you're prepared for whatever comes in the postseason, which is exactly what David Stearns and Craig Council said last week. Let's hear from Greg Council. Josh Hader a little bit, too. He went on the COVID list. Great. But before he did, he talked to the media yesterday. So we'll hear from him. Brett Anderson as well. More Brewers talk next on the Wisco Sports Show.
1: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
0: show. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you had a swell weekend. My name is Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. The talking text line 608-796-2558. Starting with the Brewers today, we're going to get into a little bit of the Packers, a little bit of the Vikings, and a tiny little bit of NBA stuff because the draft was last week. Free agency is tonight. And I don't have like one big thing to talk about with the Bucks or with the draft with free agency, but I have like a couple of little things, and we'll just kind of hit them all at once. That's coming up right before five o'clock. Did I give you the talking text line number already once? If I did, I apologize. I'm going to give it to you again 608 796 2558. Text in as Schmidt on the north side already has. Schmidt on the north side called out Dave and Monona last week, and I haven't heard from Dave. Which look, I'm not making it Dave's responsibility to call in every day, but I just, I don't know. Thought when another man put him on blast like that, I thought he would have came with fire and fury especially after his Cubs sold off everybody. I'd like to hear Dave's opinion on that. Maybe we'll be so lucky. Going to do a little bit of trade deadline. Cubs talk, mix that in with the Brewers. So maybe Cubs fans will be motivated to reach out. Heard from a couple last week. Very interested with that whole trade deadline scenario. Let's keep going on the Brewers. Council talking after the game last night. By the way, some breaking news. John Axford is back, which is weird. Josh Hader's on the COVID list now, which is, I don't know. I'm having a difficult time wrapping my mind around all of this. Because if Josh Hader has COVID, what does that mean for the rest of the team? That's scary. And Josh uh, John Axford hasn't pitched in the majors since 2018. He was a TV analyst earlier this year. So I, I'm trying to piece all that together. But that's the news today. Let's continue to talk about the games. And if we know anything further about either storyline, the Brewers' former closer, John Axford, or the current closer, Josh Hader, I will tell you. But right now we're talking about the weekend series against Atlanta. They won two of three. Craig Council talks about... His team's success, not only in Atlanta, but the rest of the road trip as a whole.
1: No, I, I, look, we've been good on the road. There's no explanation necessarily for it, I don't think. I mean, it, it's we're, we're doing, if, if anything, it's just the, the team's doing what they're good at. We played good defense today. We pitched really well today. We jumped out to an early lead, so I, I can't explain it. You know, I, I think this is why you, we shouldn't try to explain things like this, like not winning day games and so... You know, it's just, it's the way the schedule works. And if we're, if you're winning a lot of games, you're going to be winning one or the other, you know?
0: That's, I find that very funny. Council's like, well, there's no rhyme or reason to it. We're winning all the games. We're winning most of the games. So some of those are gonna be on the road. Like, that's how it works, <laughs> which is kind of cocky, which I like. Bruce is also very good. So of course they're, they're going to win games. Home or away. I get it. They also had some of those games last week on this road trip against the Pirates and they have more against the Pirates this week. They need to maximize those. Not saying they need to win every single game they play against the Pirates, but ideally winning every series against Pittsburgh here on out. Ideally with Chicago, too, right? You want to beat up on the teams that you can beat up on. That's how you stack wins. Continue to win series and hold the lead in the division. Right now, there's seven games over. The next closest team in the division, which is the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Speaking of the Brewers being a good team, Josh Hader kind of dropped us this nugget last night. This kind of got me fired up.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got a good squad, man. It's the best squad I've been on. Um... And it's just, I think, I think it starts in the clubhouse. I think it starts with the group of guys that we have. We all get along. We all stay connected. I think that's one of the things that Counts preaches. He's, he preaches uh, staying connected. And, you know, that's one of the things that we've been able to, you know, pick up guys and uh, have made a difference in this clubhouse. So continue just uh, going with the, the train that we got going and just have fun with it.
0: Best team he's ever been on. Best Brewers team Josh Hader's been on. That excites me. I like that. Makes me smile. This team is very similar to the team in 2018. The bullpen's not as good, but the starting rotation is much better. The offense, I guess, is similar. Rather than one amazing superstar, Christian Yelich, I guess they have three pretty good hitters. We were talking about that trio of Avi Garcia, Colton Wong, and um, Willie Adamas. Right, and and others pitched in throughout the series. But if you look at box scores during wins, you're often going to see multiple hits from Wong, Adamas, and Garcia. Those three are a little bit of a, a barometer for how the offense is doing. If those guys are producing, the team is producing. Where in 2018, if Yelich is producing, the team is producing and winning. Just imagine if Yelich shows up at any point this season, how good this offense and how good this team really could be, especially in relation to that 2018, which I think is probably the second best Brewers team. If this is the best Brewers team under this iteration, especially with Josh Hader, I, I think 2018 would be the best team. This year would be... or. Rather scratch that. This year is the best team, according to hater than 2018 would be right there behind. And this team has so many more advantages, especially advantages that lend themselves to winning in the postseason, like great starting pitching and the offense necessarily not relying on one bat like it did a couple of years ago. Brett Anderson kind of echoed that theme last night. This team is really, really good. I mean, it's,
1: it's a really good team. It's obviously a playoff caliber team. Pitching and defense are the strong suit. And then, uh, if we get, we scored here after the Oscar break, a pretty good clip. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, still, we've had not everybody click offensively at the same time quite a, quite yet and get yelly going a little bit with maybe with the addition of Eduardo, it, 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 send him on the right note. And so, uh, but to this point, we've played good. We haven't really had too many lulls. And so uh, it's been pretty consistent. And so hopefully we can play that way the last couple
0: months here. First of all, in a million years, I wouldn't have guessed that that's what Brett Anderson sounds like. Does not look like he sounds. Second of all, what was second of all? Pitching and defense? Pitching? I, I don't know. I played that to illustrate that everybody on this team is like, yo, uh, this team is really good. Um, I understand that there's a long way to go in this season. We have another month, right? We're seven games up, and that lead is nice. But it, it's interesting to hear a team, both the manager and the closer and a starting pitcher who was very good yesterday, all saying, yeah, this team's really good. Uh, yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're really good. We're winning a lot of games. That's why we're winning on the road is because we're just winning a lot of games. So some of those will be during the day, some of those will be on the road, some at home. Right? I, I, it's not that teams don't talk about how good they are. Or you hear that kind of present itself in different ways. Like with PJ Tucker saying, "Well, we got dogs. It's essentially saying, well, we have a lot of good players. Uh, we're going to win a lot of games. Right? Jimmy Butler said that up at the Heat last year. I think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have recognized that as well. The Brewers are just in press conferences blatantly saying, yeah, well, uh, we're really good. Probably the best Brewers team in a couple of years, certainly since 2018, uh, and we're going to win a lot of games. So just make make that clear. One logistical thing that I wanted to talk about right here for like the next minute and a half, two minutes, and this kind of changed in the last 12 hours, uh, we we're going to talk about how Josh Hader hasn't been giving much work. I tweeted earlier this weekend that the Brewers, joking, that the Brewers should have traded Josh Hader because they might not need him again because they were winning in all of these big margins and these blowouts because their offense has been scoring. So Josh Hader hasn't been getting work. Here's Craig Council talking about that problem with Josh Hader, although now he's on the COVID list, so that's going to change at least for the near future.
1: Yeah, we went through an odd sequence of games that doesn't feel like you know the Brewer teams of the last four years where there's so many close games. We've, we've been out of that for three weeks now. Um, and, and so Josh has not had opportunities, and and, and that's been different it really has I mean not having save opportunity has not been something we've ever worried about here for for a while so um just the way it goes you know it, you, you can't predict the that she goes. um we got him a nice rest uh we know it's not going to last we know we're going to need him you know he's going to pitch frequently at times so um you you count your blessings when you get him a little rest and, and know that uh
0: he's got a lot of big work ahead of him it's the way she goes According to Craig Council, it's just the way she goes. It's the way she goes. It is an interesting equation they're going to have to balance because I, this team wasn't calibrated in such a way where you never use your closer. It's not like they looked around and said, We're just going to outscore people. We're going to score eight or nine runs a night. And if the pitching can keep up, great. But we're winning through offense, baby. No, this team is designed with close games in mind to play in tight margins, to play in tight windows, and to win ball games three to two, four to three, two to one, one to nothing. Right? And now we're not using our closer? Well, that doesn't really match up. That doesn't really make sense. So that's a new math problem that the Brewers and especially Craig Council has to figure out. How often do you need work? And if we're going to continue to win at this clip and score at this clip, when do you need me to get you in there? When do you need to get work? That's something that they're going to have to figure out and something that they're going to have to calibrate. Let's take a break. I want to talk more about the Brewers' John Axford being back and why I think the John Axford reunion could maybe kind of be compared to the Randall Cobb comeback although maybe not really at all. We'll piece through that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show.
1: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
0: Wisco Sports Show 608-796-2558, the talk and text line. My Twitter at Wisco Grant. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for being here. I'm gonna do a little Packers, a little NBA in about 10 minutes. I understand that in the grand scheme of things, with the Brewers playing as well as they are and Packers training camp existing, it's probably not a lot of appetite for NBA talk, especially given that we did it for like three months straight with the Bucks. I get that. However, the draft happened, free agency happens tonight, and I got a couple of things to say. It's not like one big obnoxious thing like Grant's getting on his soapbox. It's just a couple little details that I want to get to. We'll do that for like 10 minutes before we break at 5 o'clock. Right now, we're talking about the Brewers, and I want to tie this Brewers story into a Packers story as well. A little twofer, a crossover episode type thing. Last week, we talked a lot about Randall Cobb being back in Green Bay. Naturally, of course, that was a story that kind of dictated our attention. Like a 30-year-old Randall Cobb is back in Green Bay because the quarterback wanted him. And the general manager basically said he would not be here if it wasn't about making Aaron happy. This is about making Aaron happy. Almost saying it clearly and loudly as if to point out, look, if this goes poorly, uh, this was on Rodgers. And if it goes well, good on me. Because I catered to my star quarterback. My star quarterback was right. Look at us having a working relationship together. So it's a win-win for Brian Gudikins. It's a win-lose for Aaron Rodgers. Of course, Brian Gudikins should lay this at the feet of Rodgers. Because if it goes south, his dumb quarterback never should have had input. Goody was right all along. And if it goes, well, well, Goody's the GM who empowered him. So it's a win-win for Goody. And that's a fascinating story. And I'm glad we talked about it a bunch last week. To be, to be clear, if I wasn't last week, I, w- I want to lay this out on the table where everyone can, can see here my, how I feel about this move. This move is helpful to the Packers in a vacuum. Randall Cobb helps them win games. At the end of last season, I remember talking about this a lot, where I'm trying to prioritize moments more than production, especially discussing guys like Tunyon and Lazard. Adams is one of one. He's his own thing, as is Aaron Jones, as is Aaron Rodgers, right? Those are their givens. They're superstars. We know what we get from them on a week-to-week basis. But these guys who are less heralded, weren't drafted as high or weren't drafted at all, specifically Tunyon Lazard, said a lot at the end of last year. Okay, forget all the production of the first 16 games. Tunyon had a great season. I looked it up today. It blew me away. 52 receptions on like 60 targets. Like when, he, when the ball was thrown his way, he caught it. 586 yards, 11 touchdowns. Spectacular. Great. Wonderful. Awesome. But come a playoff game against Tampa Bay, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is it's the fourth quarter. It's third down. Can you get open? And when you get open, you're going to look for the ball. And when the ball comes your way, are you going to catch it? That's what matters. And I know that seems cruel and unfair. And baseball and basketball, it's the same way. You go through an 82-game regular season or 162-game regular season, 17 games now in the NFL, and these players accumulate stats. And we're along for the ride because we watch every game and we play fantasy and maybe you bet player props. I don't know. Tunyon had an amazing season. But come February, none of that matters because in a playoff game against Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, fourth down, game on the line, can you get open and can you catch the ball? I'm not saying that Tunyon didn't do that. I'm saying that is what mattered when push came to shove. Same with Lazard. Lazard had some great games last year. I remember the New Orleans game, the Vikings game right off the bat, where it was clear Rodgers and Lazard had had worked together and their red zone connection seemed even more in tune. Great. He was really effective when he was healthy. He showed deep ball potential too, which I didn't think he had in him. But take out the regular season stats. Come time for the playoffs. Can you get open? Can you separate? Can you create a play where a play didn't obviously exist or can you create a play that wasn't schemed open because when you play against great defenses in huge moments you need to create Cobb helps them with that Randall Cobb is not going to be a fantasy monster for 17 weeks he's probably not going to be someone you bet player props with to make a bunch of money he's not going to be a big producer through the regular season but come the NFC championship game the Packers, uh, the the, the commemorative Packers loss in the NFC title game. Down three points in the third quarter and the game is teetering and it's third down. Rodgers is rolling to his right, surveying the end zone. I trust Randall Cobb. He'll know where to be. And when the ball comes his way, he won't drop it. safe. Safe Brown, not naming names. It's the NBA equivalent of of getting buckets and creating shots in crunch time. Fourth quarter, it's a two-point game. Do you have guys that can get buckets or not? The Atlanta versus Philly series, best example I've ever seen. Philly was a good team. So was Atlanta. But in crunch time, in fourth quarter, when the game slowed down and everybody dug in, Philly had Seth Curry. He's the only guy who could really create a bucket. Embiid is brilliant, but you can't expect him to get the ball on the block and get you a bucket possession after possession after possession. Everybody slows down. Everybody freezes. It's not sustainable offense. Philly didn't have anyone other than Seth Curry who could create a shot. Meanwhile, Atlanta had all these guys, Trey Young, Bogdan, Herter, Gallinari, Lou Williams, John Collins, get the ball in their hand and go to work one-on-one on on a defender and get you a bucket, right? So Philly had Ben Simmons, who I think of as maybe Alan Lazard. And they had Cork Maz, who maybe you could think of as Robert Tunyon, who over 82 games will pile up the numbers and they'll be really great and they'll win lots of games. You might even get the one seed. But when push comes to shove, can they get open? Can they make a play? Can they separate? Can they create? I'm not blaming Tunyon and Lazard for what happened in the NFC title game, but but that's the premise. That's the point. And Randall Cobb might not be a great producer over the course of the regular season, but he'll be helpful in moments in the playoffs, which is something I think they were lacking last year. He will help them in a vacuum. Now, the circumstances in which he was brought back, a little contentious, maybe a little, I don't want to say controversial, but but ideally you don't want a player in the building where the GM's like, well, I wouldn't have brought him back, but the quarterback wanted him. So here you go, Aaron, have fun. Now, that's not ideal. In a vacuum, he helps them. I would have liked to not have to give up a six-round pick or pay a bunch of money for him because their cap is screwed next year. But in a vacuum, he helps them. That's my stance now. That's going to continue to be my stance unless he gets hurt, and then, you know, the equation changes a little bit. I want to apply this Cobb conversation to John Axford, who's now back with the Brewers. For those of you who didn't know, and I didn't know until today, because why would I? He wasn't even in the majors. He's 38, and he started the season as a commentator for the Blue Jays. And then in some session or some game for Team Canada, he hit 98 miles per hour. So Toronto offered him a minor league deal, and then Milwaukee traded for him for cash. Just a Big bag of dollar bills. Here you go. We'll take John Axford back. Now, I was going to try to do this thing where it's like, well, maybe in one game here and there, you could help them, and that makes it worth it. But I think now we know a little bit more of the story. Well, Josh Hader has COVID, so we'll get John Axford. Maybe he can give us something, right? Get Tim Dillard out of the booth too. Why not? If, if everybody's got COVID, right, your options are short. John Axford for a bag of money seems like not a terrible option, especially considering the trade deadline is already coming and gone. And I'm a little confused as to how that happened. I need to read more into that trade. I didn't even think about that till now. How do they do this after the trade deadline? It must be different with minor leaguers. You're acquiring. You're not trading, maybe. I don't know. Is there an acquisition deadline? An acquiring deadline, not a trading deadline. I don't know. They got him. I don't really care about the details. It would seem to me, and I'm just an observer here. I'm not a reporter. I don't have any knowledge of the way this team works. It seems to me that the Brewers are just stashing arms. they are getting as many lottery tickets as possible. Curtis, not a superstar, but pretty good, right? And who's the name of the other guy? He's from Detroit. Oh, great. That's a good look for me. I forgot his name. The lefty. The name will come to me at a really inconvenient time, and I'll interrupt a later conversation in the show. To, is it Norris? Something Norris, I think. Morris? Norris? The other guy. The Tiger. They got two relievers. Neither one is a superstar. Neither one's going to be a closer, but they need options. Just get us arms. Just bring, bring give as many as possible. And now they're getting John Axford, who may be great, may be terrible, but he's an option. Bring, bring him in. Right? We want lots of options, and we'll figure this thing out. We'll continue to tweak the equation here and there. Right? I'm guessing that maybe the Brewers looked around at the trade market and they thought, okay, well, maybe we'll try for Kimbrel. Maybe we'll try for some of these high-level relievers. Kimbrel was obviously probably not going to happen because the Cubs weren't about to send him to Milwaukee. Send him to the south side of Chicago. I guess that's fine, but they weren't going to deal him to the Brewers. All right, fine. So instead of getting superstar relievers because they weren't available or they didn't agree on compensation or, or whatever, they go for quantity instead of quality. And they hope with one or two of these guys that they've brought in out of the three or four that they can catch lightning in a bottle through the rest of the season. Here's an analogy that should help. This analogy makes more sense to me than maybe ever an analogy I've ever used. Right? You're going to Taco Bell, you got four and a half bucks. You got four one dollar bills and like seventy six cents. And you're like, what should I get? I don't know what I should order. Now sure, you could roll up to the drive-thru window and splurge on a premium item. You go cheesy Gordita Crunch or Chalupa Quesarito, and that would basically take up all of your $4, all right? But, it would be, I mean, it'd be good. Oh, God, it would be good. It would be delicious. But that's all you're getting. Or you could load up on the value menu, the cravings menu, spicy potato tacos, which I think is their best item personally, even discounting the price. Cheesy bean and rice burrito, chicken, quesari- ch- chicken quesadilla melts. Uh, you could get the cinnamon twists, right? Lots of great options here. And you could get a couple. So you get the one premium item or you could get like three or four Dollar menu items. The brewers opted to roll up to the window and say, hey, give us a bag of bean burritos. Right? We want the most bang for our buck. We want as many items as possible. We're going to run home and eat them all. And I can't say I blame them. The dollar menu has rarely steered me wrong. But I think that's where this analogy falls apart because I love a cheesy bean and rice burrito. It's delicious. I'd love a cheesy gordita crunch more. I'm, I'm not sure how the taste plays into the quality of reliever. I need to hash out this analogy further you get my point? The Brewers, instead of putting all their eggs in one basket, they just grabbed a bunch of eggs. And they're like, well, I don't know if any of these guys will be rock stars, but hopefully we can hit on one or two. And maybe John Axford is a continuation of that strategy. Or maybe they literally only got him because Josh Hader now is COVID. That could be the case too. Either way, I think it fits their MO of how they've gone about bolstering their bullpen and bringing in guys since the trade deadline and before the trade deadline last week. Let's take a break. I want to do a little NBA stuff. I see we might have a text or two and a tweet or two. I'm assuming those are on the Brewers. We'll get to those when we come back. And I do have some thoughts on the NBA draft and free agency as a whole. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with
1: Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
0: Wisco Sports Show. Talking a little bit about Randall Cobb and now he's back. And now John Axford and he's back. And I was spitballing a little bit because they acquired John Axford after the trade deadline. They acquired him, but they also kind of traded for him. Like, here's a bag of cash, you give us him. I was like, how's that how does that work? How's that okay? The trade deadline passed. Because I don't really know. No, I don't really care, cause what's done is done. Are you gonna, you know, invest or not? Jake texts in 608-796-2558 and says, You were correct. Axford was not on a major league roster, so he can be moved after the deadline. Jake, I have no clue whether you're correct in that. You could be completely talking about your butt. I'm going to believe you anyways. Thank you for the info, Jake. He was not on a major league roster, therefore he could be moved. Good to know. I learned something today. My name is Grant Bills. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. The talk and text line is Jake just reached out on is 608-796-2558. Going to get back into the Brewers at 5 o'clock, so don't worry. We're not going to stray for very long. We'll do a little football. Football at 550. I want to talk about the Vikings because the, the Vikings are fascinating to me right now. And yes, the, the, the big story with the Vikings is vaccines and Zimmer is mad at his players who won't get vaccinated. I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want to talk about vaccines. I want to talk about the story with the Vikings because I find it very interesting, right? And I think what Mike Zimmer's doing is really, is really funny. Like I've always wanted to like Mike Zimmer because he's, I think, hilarious. He's just kind of a jerk. Uh, But he's always coached the Vikings, so I found it very difficult. But he's been cracking me up. Once again, not really related to vaccines. That's what's going on with the Vikings. That's not what I want to talk about, so don't get any ideas. Oh, Grant got political. I'm turning him off. No, we're not going to do anything like that. We're going to talk a little football in an hour. I want to talk about the NBA. I don't really have anything to say about individual players in the draft. I don't research college basketball. I don't grind tape before the draft. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, I really think Evan Mobley is going to be the next star in the NBA. And then if he turns out to be a bust, I'll never bring it up again. And if he turns out to be a star, I'll take victory laps for the next 10 years. That's, that's pointless. There are people who do way, way, way more on the NBA draft and they actually know what they're talking about. So go read those people. Don't listen to me. I do like to watch and listen to those people who do get really into the draft, however, and what the draft means for the NBA. That's why I think I'm interested in the NBA draft is because it's a really good litmus test for the sport as a whole. You find what teams consider to be important. By looking at the players they draft, what direction is the league going in? What are we prioritizing? What are we minimizing? What are we moving away from? What are we moving toward? In a way, it's like watching the stocks, right? It's like, oh, uh, this tech company is up big today. We're really into tech. You're smart. You get into tech. Look at all the the numbers are saying so, or whatever. I don't. I'm not into stocks, but it's the same. It's the same thing, right? Look at the NFL draft, for example. You look at a first round. What are teams? Climbing over each other to get quarterbacks, edge rushers, wide receivers. Every once in a while, a a corner. Teams prioritize corners, but they don't give up future assets in the same way that they do for some of those other positions. O-linemen here and there too. I always think it's a bad idea to trade up for any position that's not a quarterback, but you'll see teams do it occasionally for edge rushers, wide receivers. Not typically for a corner, sometimes for O-line as the Jets did this year. But those are the the priorities, the the positions that teams kind of lock in on. That's what's important. And if you go look at drafts from four years ago or even 10 or 15 years ago, linebackers, running backs, right, where we're going with the old school, like Mike Ditka-type positions. Guys will beat you up, right? Especially the Aaron Rodgers draft. It's bananas. So many running backs went before Aaron Rodgers went. You'd never see that today. Well, Saquon went second overall, but that remains a really stupid draft pick. NBA draft discourse very much intrigued me this year. And once again, we're talking about the top prospects, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Kaminga. I don't study the film of these guys. And even if I did, I'm not a basketball coach, so I don't know what to look for. But I listen to podcasts, I read along, and I see what these other people are saying about these players, people who do study these players. And it's really interesting the way that this draft has been broken down in the context of the NBA Finals, especially, which this year they bumped up right against each other. Normally they don't. And I think that added an interesting wrinkle this year, and I think, I think the way that people talk about this draft is one thing, and then the way that people talk about the league and and the games right now being played is different. I, I think there's a disconnect because this year's top prospects: Cade Cunningham, who's a shooting guard or excuse me, point guard; he's six eight. Jalen Green is a shooting guard; he's six five, and then Evan Mobley is the center, and he went he went third I and mean, he went fourth, didn't he? Yeah. Nobody takes centers like they used to. We want Jalen Green. We want Cunningham. Or we want guys like that. Everybody prioritizes guard play. It's like, well, the NBA now, it's a perimeter league. It's a shooting league. And I think there's a disconnect between what centers are now and what they were in, like, Greg Oden days, like Larry Sanders days. Nobody's taking centers like that anymore. And I think, well, Evan Mobley's a center. You can't take him, even though he's a very different center than we've seen in the past, right? He's a more modern version. Like, Giannis is a center. He's a more modern version of a center. So we're talking about the draft. We're looking for guards because that's the way the league is headed. And then you watch the finals. What players are taking over the NBA finals? Giannis, who's a de facto center. And Kawhi, who's a stretch four. Or LeBron, who's much of the same, right? It's hard for a guard to take over a playoff series. Steph Curry's never won a finals MVP Part of that is because Iguodala became a darling the first time they won, and then Kevin Durant was also on his team. What are you going to do? Kevin Durant's amazing. It's hard to fault Steph for that, but it's also an example of a smaller player. In the postseason, you can kind of take away some of their strengths because you can double-team him. You can put a bigger player on him, and what's Steph Curry going to do, grow six inches in the finals? He can't do that. That's not in his control. It's hard for a guard to physically demonstrably take over a series. What did you see Giannis do? Right? Giannis defensively blocking everything. Giannis rebounding everything. Giannis defending everything, especially as a help side defender. That's where those blocks came from. And then offensively, getting to the rack, moving the ball, spraying it to the corners to wide open shooters and, and playing in the pick and roll with Chris Middleton and rolling to the rim and, and be using as a screener and as a ball handler. He's everywhere. His fingerprints touched every part of that finals. Watch LeBron for years. It was much of the same. Or Kawhi. It's hard for a guard... Even a guard who's 6'5", like Jalen Green, it's hard for a guard to take over a series like that. So it interests me when we watch the draft, we're all in on Cade Cunningham and we're all in on Jalen Green, who I'm sure hopefully will be great players. But then other players like Evan Mobley, who's a center, even a modern center. If I'm trying to win a championship, that's the kind of guy I want to build around. And look, a lot of people this offseason and NBA fans, I think you'll... you'll um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you'll reverberate with this. Like, you'll hear this and agree. I think there are going to be a lot of people this offseason who write about the NBA. It's like old-school basketball is back. Look at the Suns. Look at the Bucks. Three-point shooting is about to become less of an emphasis. We're looking at the mid-range. Kawhi already got that started, right? And Chris Middleton. But now it's about getting to the rim, playing physical strong basketball, getting to the free-throw line, making the other team commit a lot of fouls. I think that's going to be a narrative. I don't know how big it will be or how many people make it but someone will make that the narrative I think it's a little bit misleading because the Warriors were in the finals for how many years and they had three of the best shooters ever it's like well of course they're going to shoot a lot that doesn't mean that this the league became overly obsessed with three-point shots there's always been bigger stronger teams the 2016 Cavs were one all I'm saying is that when we're talking about acquiring players whether it be through the draft or free agency or young players if you're making a trade to me there's a disconnect it's all guard 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 shooting 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 that's how the league is But then you watch the NBA Finals. Who's taking over every aspect of these games? Giannis, Kawhi, LeBron, and Kevin Durant. To a different degree, but Kevin Durant is so much bigger. You can't do anything with that. Giannis is so big, you can't do anything with that. Whereas Steph Curry, you can do something with that. Trey Young, although he was brilliant, right? eventually defenses find stuff to do with that. There's simply no way of stopping a player who's that much bigger and stronger. And I'm not saying we're going back and we should start drafting Greg Oden again. Donate on the big men. I really like Evan Mobley for that reason. I, I like guys who can physically take over series, as we watched Giannis just do. Just in some interesting thoughts I had comparing the actual games being played and the NBA draft. If you're sick of basketball, good. We're moving on. More Brewers talk coming up next after five o'clock here on the Wisco Sports Show.